Hey everybody, it's Brad here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to give a big thanks to all of you who have submitted story ideas, including Danny Hurley from San Francisco, who suggested this week's episode. Thanks again, Danny, and hopefully you've received the crazy good turn swag we sent you. If you haven't sent us your idea, now's a great time. Visit our website at crazygoodturns.org forward slash celebrate to tell us about a person or organization who's done something great for someone else, and they could be featured in an upcoming episode. As always, thanks for listening. Let me paint you a picture. You're standing in front of a small home, about 600 square feet or so, in a leafy suburb of Austin, Texas. The house has a slanted roof with rounded corners, wood-trimmed windows and doors, and an inviting wraparound porch. It's funky and chic in a modern, tiny house kind of way, but the person behind the house sees something far greater, a way to fight global poverty. And it turns out that 3D printing, people know about that now. It's used in all different types of use cases. It can also print concrete. And if you scale it up, it could print a house. That's Brett Hagler. He's the founder of a nonprofit called New Story, the organization that built the house in Austin using cutting-edge 3D printing technology. Since 2015, New Story has built more than 800 houses in Haiti, El Salvador, Bolivia, and Mexico for families living in extreme poverty, what Brett calls survival mode. Sleeping in a shack or tent with no running water or toilet, often no electricity, living in constant fear of intrusion and not finding the next meal. New Story has used more traditional construction methods in the past, but they've also been looking for a faster, cheaper way to build a house, and they think they found it in 3D printing. Right now, an average home is between 6,000 and 6,500. This would bring it down to about 3,500. That is significant difference. That's if, if I go out and we raise $10 million, I'm automatically 2Xing the number of people that we can help. The time to build a home, which average right now for us, is about 14 to 15 days. This would bring it down to 12 to 24 hours. Again, massive difference, right? Not like a slight improvement, but like a 10X difference. Watching the 3D house printer in action is amazing. The printer itself is set on tracks and moves back and forth over the foundation, squeezing concrete out to form the walls like a baker putting icing on a cake. New Story's partner in the 3D printing program is a company called Icon. Together, they're working to fast-track the technology to make a bigger and quicker impact on people living in extreme poverty, thanks to a little persuasion from Brett. We said, hey, look, our homes are really simple. You know, they're 500 to 700 square feet. Let's not wait 10 years where 3D home printing is happening all over the world, and our people who are, who are people I've talked about are living in survival mode are the last ones to get this technology. What if they were the first ones to get this technology? What if we could design it to work where it's gonna work out in the middle of nowhere in Africa? It'd be solar powered, we'd figure out all the design constraints. We just thought big, right? And then you, and you try to not say, this is impossible, this can't work, and you take small, small bites at it. And we're now on the path to print our first community in El Salvador. Brett definitely thinks big. New Story wants to 3D print an entire community in El Salvador, but their aspirations go beyond that. New Story is more like a Silicon Valley startup than a typical nonprofit, and Brett is full of ideas for transforming how philanthropy can have a greater impact in the world. 
Which is kind of interesting, coming from a guy who says in his younger life he was focused on what he called the three G's. Girls, gold, and glory. His own self-glory. Not even a brush with death could push him off that course, but an unexpected lunch conversation did. This is Crazy Good Turns. We tell inspiring stories about people who do amazing things for others. I'm your host, Brad Shaw. I grew up down in South Florida, so it's close to Haiti. When I was growing up, I always saw pictures of Haiti. I saw people talk about Haiti. turns out Haiti's the poorest country on this hemisphere. And when I was growing up, I was like, I don't ever want to go there, (laughs) right? Like, no way. Turks and Kankos, yes. Uh, Haiti, no. Growing up in a stable, close-knit family, Brett didn't set his sights on changing the world. His biggest priorities growing up were sports, girls, and one day making a lot of money. Till that plan hit a bit of a bump. I was in high school, and I was like your stereotypical jock. Captain of the football team, captain of the basketball team, super healthy, all the things. Really had never any adversity in my life. Hit the jackpot where I was born and my family. And then when I was a senior in high school, um, right when I was actually looking at colleges to potentially play sports for, I got a really rare form of cancer. It was called a chondrosarcoma, and it was actually in like the jaw of my mouth where your wisdom teeth are. And it was just happened out of nowhere after I went to the dentist, they did some x-rays, and they basically said, oh, this is really bad news. Your bones are decaying back there. And so we went and got the biopsy, that whole deal came back, it was cancer. And so we just kind of went immediately for solutions. Long story short, we decided to go the route of doing some pretty aggressive surgeries to just go in with an, with an excellent surgeon uh, out of Miami and try to just remove everything surgically and then do very, very um, close follow-up tests to see how the margins looked around, around the tumor. And if that turned out well, then we wouldn't have to, to go down the chemo or the radiation route. Thankfully, the surgery worked, and Brett was able to avoid months of chemo and radiation. Hearing all this, I figured this was the life event that set him on a different course, a wake-up call of sorts. I was wrong. Most people might think, okay, he finally realized that there's like a bigger purpose to life and and all that, but I actually kind of went the other way. As like an 18-year-old kid, I was like, okay, I got over it. I'm back on track. Now I've got to go make the most of life, and I've got to figure out how I can go make a ton of money so I can travel to the best places and I can impress people and I can do all these things that unfortunately I was basically brainwashed by that I thought would bring me fulfillment and purpose and all the things. And so that's what I went out and tried to do. Brett went to Florida State, majored in marketing and finance, and did all the things you'd expect from someone with his worldview back then. He joined a fraternity, had an active social life, woke up many mornings hungover. But at Florida State, he also began obsessing over launching a startup, one that would hopefully earn him fortune and fame one day. It wasn't that I was like some kid where I only cared about partying. I was super ambitious. Um, I was just what I call, uh, I had selfish ambition, where everything was just about what could it make me look like? You know, how could I stand out compared to others? Um, And how could I just get more for myself? Brett now says he realizes that wasn't a formula for a happy life, but he didn't know it then. He chased his ambition through college and right out of school launched his first startup with some friends. It was a for-profit online e-commerce company that discovered and curated hot up-and-coming brands, backed by Silicon Valley investors. Brett was living in Atlanta at the time, where his company was based. He set his sights on a well-known local CEO as a potential investor in his company, 
And Brett was hoping the CEO would mentor him, show him the way to business success. And I was like, that's the dude that I want to be like one day. You know, it just seemed like from the outside, he had it all. He had the title, he had, he had the looks, he had the family, he had the money, he had everything. Brett says he found out where the CEO worked and stalked him to his car one day, forcing the guy to give Brett his business card. Six months later, the two sat down to lunch. Brett came with a long list of business and career questions. I have no clue this guy's background as far as like what drives him. At lunch, he basically just says in a very cool, very casual way, like, I am where I am today because of my faith and because of my relationship with Jesus and, and all of that stuff, which to me was all like kind of new. His story was what really resonated with me to at least take the first step in learning more because I had all these objections of like, well, this whole, you know, faith, religion, Christian thing is like, is boring. There's too many rules. It's too judgmental. Like all these things, right? That obviously a lot of people have. And then this guy just like completely shattered all of those. Brett started going to church more regularly, his faith growing. He said it completely changed his perspective on life. I just made a total 180 and said, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put other people second. And then uh, we'll put Brett third. And that's how it started. With his newfound faith, Brett started to explore ways his startup could actually do some good in the world, perhaps give a portion of their profits to charity. The problem was that Brett had no in-depth experience with philanthropy and giving back, and didn't quite know where to start. The devastating earthquake in Haiti had happened a couple years earlier, so Brett googled nonprofits doing work there. He found a faith-based group that's been operating in Haiti for more than 20 years. They're called Mission of Hope, and uh, me and my co-founder, Mike, and my brother, Josh, went down together, first time ever going to the developing world. And we were going down there to, like I mentioned, really see issue, and then we're going to give back some of our profits from our company. Nothing crazy, right? But give back some money. And I had no passion for houses. You know, I never even really understood how important shelter was. We were going through the tents and seeing a single mom with her three kids and just kind of hearing their stories of like, okay, when it, well, when it rains, the kids are sleeping on the floor. So when it rains, mud and sewage will rush to the floor. So that means the kids sometimes have to stand up the whole night and then try to go to school the next day. And imagine that happening year over year, right? Or imagine the mom being lucky enough to, fortunate to get a microloan. And then she starts her business, but she's like literally living in a tarp tent so there's, there's no protection, right? You can't like lock in of your stuff. Um, if a storm comes, like good luck. And so it just really clicked that, okay, you got to have a foundation first in order for somebody that has grit and intelligence and potential for them to actualize that you, you just got to have life's most basic needs. And so that's how we landed on the concept of, of shelter and homes. Like so many who visit Haiti, Brett's heart was immediately convicted to help the people he saw. He committed to help Mission of Hope, and in fact, they remain a new story partner today. But he didn't have any plans to start a nonprofit. He had a fledgling business to run, and unfortunately, it wasn't doing well. It did okay, but it wasn't a strong enough idea. There wasn't enough differentiation. Uh, it's really hard to compete, obviously, with uh, this thing called Amazon. And so anyways, we did it for about, uh, about a year and a half. And I was actually really proud of how we handled it because 
me and my co-founder realized uh, uh, probably about a year into it that it just wasn't sticky enough to actually like like be a venture company that is going to go out and generate returns that we promise to our to our investors. So what we did was we said, hey, what if we could kind of get some money back? And what if the money we had left in our bank, we could actually just give back to the investors? And so we ended up giving back about 80% of what we raised to our investors. After shutting down his business, Brett spent the next six months trying to find his higher purpose. He had written a book for high school and college kids about his own life change and started speaking at schools and churches. And tapping into his love of learning, he began studying nonprofits and talking to his Silicon Valley friends about their thoughts on charity. I kept hearing the same objections over and over and over and over, which is essentially around, it seems like a black hole. I can't trust it. What percent actually goes? Why are they using the same models today as they used 30 years ago? That's when the aha moment came in. And that's when the entrepreneurial moment came in of, okay, what would, what would it look like to try to understand those objections and then basically reverse engineer an experience that could be a much more transparent and accountable and kind of 21st century approach to how it's being communicated. Lying in bed one night, he says three ideas hit him all at once. It was a three-pronged way to solve all the problems he kept running into. The first element was to create a crowdfunding site where you could go online, find a specific family in need, see pictures, hear their personal story, and then choose to build them a home. Here's a mom. Here's her four kids. They've been living in this tent that you see for seven years, right? Below that is the kid's story, their age, their dreams, etc. So that's the first thing is that you can meet the family up front digitally. Um, the second thing is that 100% of what you give goes towards building a home for that family um, that will actually be built by local workers that we hire. So you're actually 100, almost 100% of your money is going towards hiring local workers and buying local materials. Um, and the third part, it sounds pretty simple, but it's actually the best part, is that when the families move in, and for most of these families, it's one of the best days of their lives, we take very simple videos. We've trained our local partners to take you know, simple videos, and we curate them, and we edit them, and we send it back to the donor. You know that 100% is going to build the house, and it's going to be built by local workers that you're hiring, and then you get to see the end result of one of the best days of their lives. With no staff and little funds to bring his concept to life, Brett built a simple landing page in about a week and featured one family in Haiti in need of a home. It wasn't like a real website. It was just like a static page that was a picture, basically. And we had like the crowdfunding meter on there. And, and we had a percentage. And then people would click a donate button. The donate button was real. And the money did come to us. The concept of crowdfunding it was kind of fake just because it wasn't our own software that we built. And then when people donated, we would just edit the picture and we would move the meter um, after people donated. You know, that cost us nothing, but it, it was able to validate a concept. And then we did have somebody give um, an upfront donation. So in the early days, any operating expense that we had that wasn't for houses, we could still give 100% to build the house. And then the videos were like, we'll just go down there and shoot them ourselves. Like, we'll figure that out later. And that's what we did. It was around the end of 2014 when they got their scrappy concept up and running. They named it New Story for the transformations they hoped to showcase about the families they would help, and for the new story they would tell about how to give back in the modern age. Brett posted New Story to his Facebook page. 
Within five months, they built 10 houses in Haiti. The velocity of their ramp-up and early success caught the attention of Y Combinator, a startup incubator in Silicon Valley. YC invests in a number of large startups. It's incredibly competitive to land a spot with the incubator, which takes startup founders through an intense three-month program to build out their business plan in preparation for launch. Airbnb, Dropbox, and Reddit are all YC alums, but those were all for-profits. New Story was among the first nonprofits admitted to the program. It's so rare to get in there. I think that was about 7,000 startups that applied, and they only took, I believe, 85. And you've got, like, at least on paper, the best of the best applying, right? I mean, you've got NASA scientists, people from SpaceX, everybody has a you know an Ivy League MBA. I didn't have any of that. I'm a Florida State Seminole, right? And my co-founders were somewhat in the same boat. And so we were like total underdogs, total, total underdogs. But what we had was from the beginning, we were extremely gritty to start. We had a good concept and we got a lot of traction very fast. So within our first like five months of me posting on Facebook, hey, this is new story. Within five months, we already had like 10 homes in Haiti built which means we had to raise the money for it. We had to do all the other stuff and then we had to get them built. I think that was really impressive to them. And it's also usually impressive to other investors or donors is like, you say something, which is great, but can you actually deliver? And we were able to do that. Britt says that their time at Y Combinator, surrounded by some of the smartest minds in technology, had a big impact on how they thought about their own young organization. That got into our DNA, which was kind of already there was, you know, we wanted to operate like an elite for-profit startup as far as who we hired, how we used our model, all of that stuff. And and that was able to get us a lot of traction where in those three months, we went from having just about 10 homes to within three months, we did over 100 homes, which was like, yeah, it was a crazy amount. And that, and that got us some national press and attention. And then I say this all the time, Momentum begets momentum. And when something happens, yes, you can, you know, high five, go out to dinner and celebrate. But like that next morning is go time. As we talked about earlier, New Story has now built more than 800 homes in Haiti, El Salvador, Bolivia, and Mexico, and has another 600 fully funded homes in the pipeline. The business model they brought to Y Combinator remains largely the same. A critical component of that model is their promise to donors that 100% of their dollars go to funding the building of a house using all local materials and labor. New Story pays for its overhead with funding from private donors it calls builders. Every single penny of what you give goes towards building a house. How do I pay for my salary? How do I pay for my team? How do we pay for the technology we build, all the stuff? We have literally a separate bank account that is just for our overhead and for our operations. And the people that fund that, we call the builders because they are private donors that understand that in order to get where we want to be in the next 20 years, we have to have an excellent team, an excellent culture. We have to invest in R&D. And so they kind of see the long-term vision in that, and the builders just give to that. So we have about 30 builders that just give to that. And realizing that having a new home is just the first step to escape living in survival mode, New Story purposely builds entire communities of homes. This gives them critical mass to partner locally on all the ancillary support systems needed for a sustainable life. We don't build one-off homes. We put them together and we create entire communities. Just imagine in people's head, imagine a large piece of land and 
200 homes all going in that same area, right? Which would be about a thousand people. And then because you have a thousand people and you have 200 homes, well, then you can bring on partners for things like a school or clean water in the community or agriculture training in the community or medical mission trips to the community. Aniva Navas is a 42-year-old single father with two daughters living in a small town just southwest of San Salvador. He says his family has lived in poverty most of his adult life, moving from home to home before ending up in a small makeshift shack built from scrap sheet metal. He calls it a life of sadness. But things are much different now for Anival and his girls, thanks to his new home, one of more than 100 that New Story is building in his community. Well, now that I live here, I feel there has been a change. My daughters are happy. They study. They help me sell. Before, I didn't have my own store, my own business. But when I came here, I thought this was the opportunity to open up a small store. Thankfully, with the help of my neighbors, I'm able to sell and make a living. I feel that little by little we're changing. We're no longer the same afflicted people we were before because we feared being robbed in our old steel sheet house. We feel safer. I feel that my life is changing because I have a lot of hope to do something better. Anival says New Story's work is pulling his entire community into a better existence. As a community, these have been significant changes because today we have bathrooms, fresh drinking water, electricity. We're all doing better because, thankfully, in this community, we're united. We all get along. Before, we didn't have any of this. Now I feel good because I enjoy gardening cleaning up the park and making sure it looks nice because children play there in the afternoons. They like to play with the swing set. One feels good because the children are happy and safe. Thankfully, we're in a beautiful community that I love very much. As we said, Brett and his team are thinking way beyond the communities they're building. Their 100% promise gives them an advantage that many other nonprofits don't have. With their overhead funded by private donors, they can afford a robust research and development program to test out and deploy breakthrough ideas. And they plan to share their innovations with other nonprofits for an even bigger global impact starting this year. Yes, we could continue to raise money and build homes the traditional way, which is great because it impacts people's lives. But what about new innovations and new things that could, if it worked, could reach people exponentially faster and better than the old ways. We believe when you're trying to create change, it should be an open source pursuit. That's what we say. And that when you, when you break through with something, you shouldn't try to keep it for yourself so that you look better than the other nonprofits, so that your budget could maybe grow an extra 20% that year. If you really care about solving global issues, the best thing you could do is yes, prove something that works better for your organization. Have the audacity to try something new and to prove it's better, and then to totally open it up and allow other organizations to do it. Which brings us back to that 3D house printer in Austin, where Brett and his team unveiled it at the South by Southwest conference in March. This is one of those big ideas that Brett hopes to share with the world. 
New Story is seeking $600,000 in funding to make engineering and software improvements, thoroughly test it, and transport it to El Salvador. So the next step is just bringing it down there and going through all the, the, the realities. It's raining. It's hard to work. You have to train people. It's going to be super hard, but it's possible, right? And you just have to be very calculated and very smart about the choices that you make. But we're going to get it. Our co-founder, Frank Blake, recently shared a quote from author Jane Kenyon in a blog post he wrote on Medium. The quote is, Our principal responsibility in life is to be good stewards of our own gifts. It's such a profound way to look at the world, and it fits Brett's journey to a T. But what about the rest of us? We all have talents and gifts that we deploy into the world around us. And the question, perhaps, we should ask ourselves is, to what end? It's a great question to ponder as we all search for purpose in life. And people thought it was like, all right, this will fade away. Brett will go back to thinking about all these other things that are super important and were like really matter. And then it just, it's sustained and it's been almost five years now. And fortunately, like God has used that story to allow me to have conversations with other people. And that's been able to affect them and for them to see like, hey, maybe there is actually a much bigger purpose than what I have been living for. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Go to crazygoodturns.org to learn more about or donate to New Story. You can also submit your ideas for people or organizations we should feature. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to us on iTunes and stay connected with us between episodes by following us on Facebook and Twitter. Our show is audio engineered by Stephen Key, who also provided the voiceover translation for the interview with Anival. Music supervision and mixing by Score Score in Los Angeles. A special thanks to Megan Basinger, and I'm your host, Brad Shaw. My heart totally transformed. I started treating people so differently, right? And I started thinking about things so differently, and my actions were so different. People just started asking, like, dude, what the heck happened? Did you lose your mind?